0: Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall. The number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey. Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall. Well, it was a very interesting first weekend. With the two games set against the New York Islanders, they split the first two games of the year, but they could not have been polar opposite performances Thursday night, the Rangers came out completely flat. They got beat five I'm sorry, four nothing on home ice. Jack Johnson took a penalty two minutes into the game, which then in turn the Islanders scored a power play goal right. He had a dismal display for a debut. He also had a chip in that ended up hitting the the referee and he just made a terrible play in his own zone, which then turned to an odd man Rush the Islanders, another goal. Later in the game he just he got beat two or three more times in the zone that Igor had to really step up and make a good play on. In Game 2, he saw more of a limited role. Uh, he only played about 13 minutes in Game 2. I mean, he was... I do not think this guy is going to be the answer for the Rangers' defense this year. Now, Brendan Smith, who did come in and, and played Game 2 for a scratch Tony D'Angelo, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but he looked a lot better. Then Johnson did. Uh, Smith used the body. He made an excellent defensive play, then a a long stretch pass to Panarin to lead him for a breakaway goal. I think Smith played extremely well in Game 2, and and going forward, I think Smith needs to be the lineup for the Rangers. Now talking about Igor. Igor made 29 of 33 saves in Game 1. He let in two goals that he probably should have had, but all in all, he kept the Rangers in the game. You know the Rangers' offense could not get anything going. They were constantly on their heels. You know, they couldn't sustain any offensive pressure at all. He made a lot of really great saves to keep them in the game. Um, but then, you know, game two, Coach Quinn changes it up. He puts Gorgiev in net. Gorgiev goes out and produces a 23-save shutout. You know, he had really good positioning all games. Steve Alcott was saying, "You're know, in a mission that he's really improved his positioning uh, for a guy who." He's making his first start in 10 months, so it's a long layover for him. Um, but, you know, Gorgiev was really solid. I think he'll be back in net against uh, the Devils on Tuesday night. But, you know, that's not to say that Igor is not going to be the star goalie for them. I just think that it's going to be more of a split. But right now, you know, Gorgiev has the hot hand going into Tuesday night, so I think they'll ride with that. The rookies looked so much better. than opening night, both of them looked, you know, uh, LaFontaine, he just... LaFreniere, he's looked a little bit hesitant in the offensive zone. Um, on Saturday night, he looked like he was really looking for a shot. He played well in the second power play unit. Um, and then for Miller, you know, Miller, you know, he actually also had a turnover that led to a goal for the Islanders in Game One. Um, you know, again, looked a little hesitant, but Game Two uh, looked like he was playing a lot more confidence. He made a few offensive zone rushes, uh, which we didn't see in Game One. And again, he also was looking for a shot. So. You know all positive things from the rookies after their first two games, uh, and then for the rest of the defense, you know Adam Fox, uh, he just looks like a stud in his second year. He's now getting penalty killing time. Um, you know he's looked way more confident in the defensive zone than he did last year. From an offensive standpoint, with D'Angelo scratched uh, for game two, he took over the first power play uh, first um, power play unit, and I mean he did so well as quarterback. He's constantly looking for the pass. But also has a great shot, and he can really he's really good at getting deflections off a shot too. So with Kreider in front, you know, they have one that just missed. Uh, but Fox, I mean, he just he's such a standout player that, you know, the Rangers really have a really good young player there. Then also looking at Truba, Truba's been the Rangers' best player consistently for the first two games. Um, not only the defensive zone, but the offensive zone. He's got such a heavy shot. He filled in on the second power play unit um, in game two. And he, I mean, always looking to shoot, which is always encouraging for any Ranger fan on a power play. But uh, he had about three—I think he had three shots on net in Game Two. Game One, he had a one unfortunate, where a one unfortunate play where Anders Lee just got inside him and had a tipping goal. Um, but other than that, I mean, Truba played. He was by far the Rangers' best player in Game One. Now looking ahead to Tony D'Angelo, um you know what's going to happen with him next? He was scratched. On Saturday, Quinn came in, changed up pretty much every line except for the, the top line of Zbigniewicz, Kreider, and Bucinevich, which, you know, that turned out pretty well. Buc getting two goals in Game 2, but everything else was shaken up. Uh, Lafreniere was moved up to the second line. Kako was demoted. Um, then Tony D'Angelo was benched. D'Angelo skated with a taxi squad on Saturday during practice. So he even practiced with the the main team, which is kind of a... It's definitely a strong statement from Quinn uh, to D'Angelo, but, you know, there's been a lot of turmoil around him. You know, he's got the Trump, the Trump or you know, the Trump support and uh, his social media presence, which is, I don't think it impacts your hockey game, but I think it impacts the locker room. Um, I don't think D'Angelo was the reason the Rangers lost game one. I, he had a very boneheaded double minor that he took to start the third period off. You know, I don't, I don't think, it, really didn't have any momentum going into the third period. So, you know, yeah, they go on the power penalty kill for the first four minutes of the period was not an ideal situation for the Rangers, but I don't think that warranted, you know, him losing the game for them. But going forward, I if D'Angelo's not gonna be part of their plans, I, I think you know, he's only a two year deal right now. Uh they can move him. I don't know what the Rangers will look for if they want to get a defenseman back for him or turn it into a center or Another forward, but I just—he's too good to leave in the press box right now. So either I think you gotta get rid of him, or you have to play him because you have Jack Johnson on the ice, who is—you know, like I said, he—he he was okay in a limited role last game, but he is not the answer on defense. He is—he's a seventh defenseman, and right now he game one he brought the same—the same thing you saw in Pittsburgh with him last year, with him just giving up odd odd chances and him just not being able to clear the puck was the same jack johnson we saw in game one but going forward i think if d'angelo's in the lineup you have to keep smith in the lineup and then you gotta drop johnson out i think that's just the best defensive unit the rangers can put in the ice right now now looking at kako so he was the mode to the third line um and and coach quinn said it was not because of him it was just kind of how things shook out and you know, a lot of other writers have said you know, he's 19 years old. He was the easiest one to, to make the adjustment to. And I, not for anything, I think it actually turned out, you know, Kako scored a goal on a great play by Hedl and DJ and Zepi in the offense, sorry, um, right on the blue line, and they made a great passing play, and Kako rifled one in for the fourth goal for the Rangers. But he's also got kicked off the second power play unit, which, you know, for Brendan Lemieux, I, I don't know how Lemieux is going to do in the second power play unit. He really didn't show anything this game. I understand that he's more of a grinder in front of the net, so it kind of gives the same Kreider feel to the second unit, but, I mean, you have to have Kaka on the ice on the second. I mean, he's such a better offensive threat than Lemieux is, and Lafreniere is such a good passer that I just think that it would be so much more beneficial for him to be out there. And, again, also, Filippito, why is he not on the second power play unit? You know, I know Brett Houghton had a strong camp and has looked okay in the first couple games, but, you know, Heedle is by far the better offensive player than Houghton. So to have Heedle and Kako both sitting on the bench in the second, second unit, uh, it's just an interesting move by Quinn. Well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see if that works out, if that's going to stick, or if that's just something that he was tinkering with for Game 2 because he was switching up all the lines. Another big adjustment the Rangers made in Game 2 was saying discipline and staying on the penalty box. In game one, they spent 18 minutes in the penalty box. They had nine penalties. You know, anytime you're killing off game, the more time penalty killed, the more time and Timmy Panarin's on the bench. He only played 17 minutes in game one because of all the penalty killing. You know, that's the winning formula against the Rangers, right there. Anytime you can keep Panarin, uh, you know, that's. Not in your offensive zone, it's going to be successful. The other team, uh, you know, game two, Panarin played twenty-two minutes. The Rangers only took four penalties. You know, so it was a huge difference. Obviously, Panarin had two goals in game two. You know, he was constantly in the offensive zone. So, you know, the formula is there. If you want to beat the Rangers, you know, call you know, let them take penalties, let them play stupid, you know, make stupid plays, and keep Panarin off the ice. From a penalty killing standpoint, you know, the only positive has been, you know, we got to see Buchnevich all of a sudden, he's a penalty-killing maven. Uh, he led the Rangers in penalty-killing minutes in Game 2. You know, in in uh, training camp, Coach Quinn said that he wants to see new forwards step up and um, and come on the unit. And uh, Right now, Bushnevich has stepped up and Chris Kreider has stepped up. I think using Kreider's speed on the penalty-killing unit could be a huge asset. Um, he made a very nice defensive play in Game 2 where he deflected a pass from a defenseman and came down an odd-man rush and just missed wide. Um. So, I mean, I think the more aggressive standpoint definitely, I think, will pay off maybe for the Rangers for more, a couple more penalty kill. Uh, sorry, short-handed goals, but I mean, they need to find some way to make up for Foss leaving the team. Foss was their top forward last year, for the last few years on the penalty kill. You know, Brett Howden and Ryan Strom are solid penalty killers. Mika's a very solid penalty killer. So, it's great to see these other guys step up right now. Uh, I, I do think Based off of how well they played Saturday, this will be the same lineup we see going forward for the next game, uh, against New Jersey. You know, sorry, I think that keeps D'Angelo, uh, unfortunately in the press box again. But you know, the team got the message. Panarin said before I'm sorry, after last game that everything that was said before game before the game in the locker room was all they need to hear, and the team got the message loud and clear. So I, I think, you know, it might have been fair for what Quinn you know, who we benched or you know, the lineup changes, but the team definitely got the message and they definitely responded. This week we're joined by former New York Ranger Jason Ward. We talked to Jason about being the eleventh overall pick in the ninety seven entry draft, his NHL debut where he scored in his first shot against the legendary Mike Rick, and then his time on Broadway right after the NHL lockout. Let's send to an interview with Jason. We are joined today by the 11th overall selection in the 1997 Entry Draft, former AHL MVP and former Ranger Jason Ward. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So, 11th overall pick, pretty high. How was that draft night?
1: Uh, It was pretty crazy. I was lucky enough. uh, I got to go to uh, the year before I was in St. Louis uh, to have the experience uh, through Newport Sport, who was my agent at the time. Uh, they just wanted me to get the, a feel for the experience and everything. So I got to go the year before and enjoy it. Uh, and then the year of my draft was, uh, you know, a lot of meetings and things like, uh, you know, getting drafted by the the Habs was, uh, you know, a dream come true. Uh, you know, being uh, from a long life of uh, Leaf fans, uh, it was a little harder day on my dad. Uh, I remember as Montreal was coming to make their selection, uh he was just like, he just put his head down. And he's like, oh, bleep. <laughs> and then later on that night, my mom's like, y- y- you know, my dad had to had to apologize to me for acting as a fan and not a, as a father. And uh, I just joked around with him and uh, had a good laugh over it.
0: Did you think there was a chance of you going to Montreal before the draft?
1: It, it was kind of up in the air. There was a lot of things that, you know, Boston had two picks that year. Uh, with the first pick and the eighth pick uh, with Thornton going to Boston. And, you know, I, I know there's was, uh, I had some communication with them. And then the, uh, I think it was Vancouver um, and Washington, they were both going with defense and that was 9-10. So conversations with them, but, you know, Boston was one. And then uh, San Jose had second or third pick that year. They took Marlow, but, uh, you know, I had some good conversations with them, but I, I think they made the right pick with Marlow. <laughs>
0: there was a guy who was taken right behind you named marion hosa who just got elected to the hall of fame this year that's a pretty good bragging right you have
1: well i don't know if it's a bragging right uh, it's one of those things uh, you know I, I you know he's one of those guys that you know I mean, obviously he's a hall of famer he's uh you know a heck of a player and things like that it took a lot of abuse in montreal over the years uh you know that they had me instead of him but uh no it's one of those things that yeah uh, you know I, I don't look at it as as bregan writes you know what I mean he had a great career and just uh you know I look back at that draft of the uh, the players that played and the amount of games they played uh you know it's just nice to uh to have that opportunity
0: and then you played in two world juniors for Canada uh one year you guys made it to the gold medal game and unfortunately lost to russia what was what were those experiences like
1: it, it was pretty crazy, you know what I mean the first one was in Finland, so it was overseas and my second one was in Canada in Winnipeg and, uh, you know, you always watch TV and you see the whiteouts and, you know, it, it just, it sounds crazy and looks crazy. Uh, and then you're a part of one and it's phenomenal. Like the, the chills that you get, you know, number one, playing for your country and then in, fun, in front of the fans, uh, with a whiteout was just, uh, a truly unbelievable experience. And, uh, we definitely got outplayed by the Russians in the final, but uh, I remember we scored with about three minutes left. Uh, I think it was Brian Allen that scored the uh, game tying goal, and they were out shooting us probably 35 to 15, and we ended up tying it up, and we thought we really had a chance to win at home. And, you know, Luongo was just unbelievable for us in net, and uh, unfortunately, uh, they just uh, they got that one more goal than we did.
0: So, what was that trip out of Finland like? Any good stories from there?
1: Uh, Finland was a pretty cool experience. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, we obviously didn't do well as a team. <laughs> it was a tough year for Canada that year, uh, to say the least. But, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I would say the, the funnest part about that is just getting to spend time with, with the guys. And we were uh, lucky enough. Uh, we got followed around. Uh, with video cameras so I was in charge of videoing the players and things like that so there's some pretty comical uh, you know events that happened uh, you know the boys love to have fun in the in the uh, the hotels playing jokes on each other and stuff like that but uh, it, it was nice uh, you know just to, to spend a lot of time with a lot of different players.
0: And both those years you played with Luongo what was he like on and off the ice?
1: Oh uh, he's just you know he, he's one of those guys he's uh he's a true hockey player. He, he lives and breathes it, but you know, he has so much respect for everybody around him. Uh, you know, that total team guy, he's willing to do whatever it takes uh, for everybody around to make them better. Uh, you know, I can't say enough about him as a person and as a player.
0: Now having the uh, the world juniors in Winnipeg, and you were saying the sold out crowd, what was that just general city feel like as, you know, team Canada was doing well there.
1: It was awesome. You know what I mean? Uh, You know, I was lucky enough to to play in Montreal. And, you know, you get crazy fans there, especially in playoffs. And it was the same type of atmosphere in Winnipeg. You know, just having, you know, so many fans. And, you know, know, we're obviously – we had a terrible year the year before. So that year, you know, with us playing well and and getting to the finals, uh, there was a lot of excitement. And every day was a new day. And every time you walk out, you know, people are excited for – for the team. And uh, like I said, it's just that one goal away from uh, a dream come true.
0: And how competitive are those training camps going
1: into the, to the world Juniors? Uh, it's a dog fight. You know what I mean? We, we all know we're, we're all fighting for jobs. Uh, even though uh, I was on the team the year before I knew I had to fight for my job. And uh, you know, some guys, uh, really come out and surprise guys and some guys disappoint. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a tough experience because as a player, you have two weeks to show You know, they have a kind of preset what they think of you. And then you've got like two weeks to show them what you can do. And, uh, you know, I, I love those type of pressure situations. Uh, you know, I think that's where I thrive as a player. And that's why I've had uh, lots of success. Uh, but it's, uh, it's tough on the, the mind, body and everything.
0: Now you broke into the AHL in uh, 1999, and your first game is at MSG. First shot, first goal, first everything against Mike Richter. How was that?
1: Uh, it was just, uh, I remember getting the phone call. Uh, I was at my rookie party in the AHL, and they're like, you're just getting called up. I'm like, okay, well, this is for sure a prank, because I know it's rookie night. And they're like, no. So, you know, uh, I think L.A. and Nazardine got called up at the same time. And he's like, you know, you're driving, so <laughs> you got to go home and get some rest. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, I'm serious. So, uh, I ended up doing the drive to Montreal, you know, calling my parents, letting them know that, uh, I'm going to get an opportunity to play and it being in New York City. So I flew my parents down to the game. Uh, and you know, like that was just a, a dream come true just to, to get that opportunity as playing with uh, Scott Thornton and Jim Cummings. And I just remember just, you know, I just play my game and I came across the blue line. I, I dropped uh, a pass to uh, Scott Thornton. He gave it right back to me and uh, I put it home on Richter and I got to the bench and Jim Cummins is like, he's like, there's 29 reasons not to do that again. He's like, Florida, St. Louis. He's like, you don't drop the puck at the blue line with us out there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now you went back and forth from uh, Quebec to Montreal for a couple of years. What was it like playing in Quebec after the
1: Nordiques left? Uh, it was a cool experience. You know what I mean? Uh, they loved their hockey there. You know what I mean? The the rivalry between Montreal and Quebec. Uh, it was different having a farm team from Montreal in Quebec. Uh, I I don't think it was really well brought out at first, but I think once we started playing, they enjoyed the hockey there. Uh, they enjoyed having pro hockey back in Quebec city and, uh, you know the the people there were great. You know I I, I was bilingual, so I got by uh, on my I called my français, so it's half English, half French, and uh, you know I got by with that. But the the city and everything, uh, I think they really enjoyed having a, a protein back there.
0: Do you think they can still support a protein there?
1: I definitely think they do. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that you look at Winnipeg, uh, when it first got there, they're like, okay, we we know it can, but we're not sure. And once they brought it back to Winnipeg, it it just exploded from there. I think the same thing would happen with uh, Quebec City. I think once they get a team and they, uh, you know, they get the surrounding support, uh, I think it can definitely uh, have another team there one day.
0: And as a young guy coming through the Montreal system, uh, what veterans in the, either in the AHL or in the NHL that really took you in their wing?
1: Uh, There was quite a few of them, you know what I mean? Uh, There's a list of guys, you know what I mean? From Trevor Linden to Craig Rive to Jeff Hackett. um, You know, there's so many guys. But the one guy that really took me under his wing was uh, Shane Corson. Uh, He was just one of those guys uh, at one of my first training camps. Uh, You know, we went toe-to-toe and I finished a check on him and I was about to fight him and Brad Brown came in and protected me. He's like, Corson, you're not fighting this kid. And then right after that scrimmage, uh he saw me in the hallway. I'm like, I, I don't know if I should run or hide or what I should do and he's like, "Get over here, kid." I'm like, "Uh okay." He's like, "All right, tonight I'm taking you out for dinner." I'm like He's like, "I love the way you play. You play with a lot of passion, and, you know. I, I'm going to love having the opportunity to play with you. So, we're going out to dinner tonight." Where, you know, it just kind of uh, from there, anything I had, uh, he was always there to, to answer a question. But like I said, there was lots of guys through, uh, the time that, uh, I have a lot of respect for that helped me along the way.
0: Where did you have your rookie party in Montreal? Uh,
1: Montreal, New York city. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, it was, uh, pretty cool because, uh, I was playing with, uh, Sheldon Surrey at the time and he was good buddies with, uh, Mike Piazza. So at our rookie party, Mike Piazza came to our rookie party. Uh, we treated him the whole night. The rookies, we were all like pissed. Like this guy's a million, you know, a millionaire and we've got to treat him to dinner and everything this night. Uh, and then once we got back to Montreal, uh, all four of us, there was four rookies that year. And all four of us uh, got assigned Piazza back uh, in our stall. So it's it well worth it. To, uh, you know, If you're going to have a rookie party, that's the guy to have at it. Then get something out of it.
0: What are some of the best pranks that went down the Montreal locker room?
1: Oh, there's so many, but uh, I remember a funny one that kind of happened to me was uh, we were out to dinner in Boston, um, and what do you call it? Bill Belichick was there. So I was a huge football guy, and, you know, I had to go say hello. So, you know, two, three of us were, were talking to uh, Belichick and uh, his son, and, you know, the old funny trick was to put, you know, some type of food or some type of dressing on people's shoes, and then everybody knocks the glasses, and it's called the shoe check. So, like, I'm talking to Belichick, and all of a sudden I, I hear shoe check. I'm like, who's getting shoe checked right now? And then I just looked out of my foot, and there's a whole glob of like potatoes <laughs> on my shoe. And you know what I mean? Like, I, I was pretty impressed with Bill Belichick, and there's something they didn't, I didn't see them at all look down or nothing. So, it was, uh, one of those moments that I'll definitely remember. And
0: during the lockout, you were back down in Hamilton, and you were named captain. What was that honor like?
1: It's always you know nice to be honored as the captain. Uh, to me, uh, I always say uh, true leaders don't need letters and things like that. Uh, you just do the the things that you're supposed to do, and you know those things kind of happen. Uh, I never looked at a captaincy as like I deserve it or anything like that. It was just uh, it was a true honor um we went to the the cup finals a couple of years before that as an assistant captain we had Ben Gratton as our captain there and when I went back down I got the opportunity to be captain and uh, it, it was truly an honor but not something that uh, you know changes anything in my mind
0: so that big run you did have with Hamilton before that you were the MVP of the league that year what clicked for you just from your a game standpoint that you went on that big
1: run it's just one of those dream seasons uh, you know everything seemed to work like i'd have a bad game and had three points by the end of the night and you know uh when i had a good game we had three four points uh, we had uh great chemistry me and ben graton uh, i'd never had that type of chemistry with a player before and everything we did, we—it was almost like we were a step ahead of everybody else out there. And uh, the plays that we did, and we always knew where each other were without even talking to each other. And uh, you know that's why you know they they talk about chemistry being so important because uh, you know I got to feel it that year with Ben, and unfortunately Ben got hurt uh, that year because uh, he could have been the, the league MVP. We were right together with the standings all the way, and then he had a blood clot, so he missed about two months. Uh, And then I took over kind of the the scoring and everything. And that was the first time in my career that I've always been, you know, a guy that can put the puck in the net, but never really one of those top scorers. Uh, I kind of had more of an all around game, Uh, played with a physical presence, Uh, wasn't scared to go in the corners. Uh, But, you know, the scoring touch, I had one, but it wasn't, uh, you know, that top-notch type of scoring. And uh, that year it just seemed like everything uh, hit the back of the net. And uh, it was a dream You played
0: eight games that year also for the Canadians and you had five points. Was that a confidence that you just took with the AHL?
1: Yeah, 100%. Confidence is huge. Uh, You know, I think I played 32 games the year before and had two or three points in Montreal. Uh, And those eight games, uh, you know, I was coming off so much confidence uh, from the AHL. And, you know, I wasn't scared to try things where maybe that first year, you know, I always wanted to make the simple play and not make mistakes. Uh, You know, so I I came in with a lot more confidence and, uh, you know, it showed in my play.
0: And then the 05 year you signed with the Rangers after lockout. Was that just something you wanted to get out of the Montreal system to kind of get a new, a fresh perspective on the league?
1: Yeah, I think it was at at that time, uh, you know, Montreal kind of looked at me as a third, fourth line player. Uh, There, you know, every time I got an opportunity to move up when there was three, uh, I thought I did well. But, you know, somebody would come back and I get pushed back down. So it was just one of those things where uh, I think, you know, the team and myself, we were both, you know, kind of, you know, this is what I think you are. And I thought I had more to bring. Uh, so we just didn't end up uh, coming down to a contract. So I became a free agent. Uh, and then, you know, New York was one of those uh, opportunities uh, that I just, you know, they hadn't made playoffs in a long time. They uh, were, you know, the salary cap uh, kind of changed the way they thought. Uh, so I just thought it was a, a good opportunity to go to a, a spot where I'd have a chance to, to move up the lineup.
0: Yes, yeah, so you were on the, the 05 team was really the start for the Rangers turnaround uh, through the late 2000s. Um, on that team, you had a great year. You played all 81 games of uh, the season and you had 28 points and 10 goals. Was this just a newfound confidence for you going into that season? Or was
1: that, yeah, just, it, or, you know, was the team better. I, I think like Tom Rennie said it best uh, at the start of the year. I think we were picked like 30th that year to, to finish in the league. And Tom Rennie said like, you know, this is a team with a bunch of spare parts and we're going to put it all together uh, to make something great. And that was kind of the theme at training camp. Uh, and it just took off from there. You know, we had, uh, you know, weeks in uh, Hank as the goalies. And, you know, uh, weeks of that year, unfortunately, got hurt. Like, he was playing well, and Lumpus came in, and, you know, the rest is history there. But it was just one of those things where we had – we all had our jobs and we all knew what we were supposed to do And like I just said with Montreal, they they kept me in that third, the fourth line and the Rangers kind of put me in that third line, but you know, I was a top PK guy, you know, they gave me a lot of value and, you know, I don't look at it so much as being in the top six at that time. It was the value that they gave me. And, you know, me and Blair Betts were the go-to PK guys and Yags and Straka and those guys were the go-to power play guys and everybody had their role and everything came together. And, uh, You know, unfortunately, in playoffs, it didn't come together. But, uh, you know, that year was, uh, like you said, it was a a good starting point for the Rangers uh, for the years to come.
0: So you talked about you and Blair Betts were the the top PK unit. And you guys were one of the top units in the NHL in general. What goes into having a a very good power power kill uh, in the NHL?
1: It's just one of those things. Obviously, it started with Barry Perns with the strategy. You know, we wanted to force teams to dump pucks in so they didn't carry it in. So, you know, and it wasn't just Blair and I, obviously, you know, your best PKer is your goalie. So with Weeks and uh, Hank being in net, uh, you know, they make the extra 15, 20 saves a year. Uh, that's the difference with your PK being in the top five and the bottom five. Uh, so it was just one of those things where, again, like I said with Chris Gratton, that chemistry, it was the same thing with Blair on the PK Uh, You know, when he was forcing, I knew where the puck was going to go. When he was forcing, you know, I knew where to go. So we just had a good read. And, you know, neither one of us was scared to block shots and be in shooting lanes. And uh, that's another big component for the PK. And
0: Jager had the best offensive season in Ranger history that year. What was it like playing with an all-time legend like him?
1: Uh, He was just one of those guys. uh, The best way to describe him uh, you know, I got to see it for the first time in public when he was at the all-star game uh, in Florida and just his personality. Uh, he was a guy that, you know, you saw his personality as a player in the dressing room, uh, but a lot of people in the public didn't get to see the the real Jagger and just the free spirit and the guy that just loves being around the ring, cracking jokes. Uh, I remember we we're playing a game in, uh, in Ottawa and Nylander got hurt. And uh, I think You know, uh, somebody went out to center and Yags came off to the bench and he looked at Tom Ray, He's like, no, no, put Ward with center. Put Ward. I'm like, I'm looking down the bench. I'm like, is Tom going to do it? He's like, and then next, you know, Straka, Yags, Ward, go up. So I started playing with him in my first shift. I got the puck along the, the blue line and I chip it in and get it in and then go after it. And then Yags just looks at me. He's like, Wardle, you're not on the third line anymore. You're on the first line. We don't dump pucks in. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like, you know, it was that newfound confidence. And, you know, he was a guy that, you know, he was so easy to play with because, you know, all you had to do was get him the puck. And, you know, he, he always said to me, don't worry, Wardo, I'm always open. And, you know, just give him the puck and give him space. And then once two guys came to him, then you were open. Uh, It was just that, uh, you know, it was an easy guy to play with because as soon as he put his butt out, nobody was taking the puck off of him, and you just had to give him space.
0: Any good off-the-ice stories with him?
1: What's that? Uh, Off-the-ice, you know what? He he kept to himself pretty good, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, He took uh, Peter Pruka under his wing and kind of – Helped him uh, through the process and things like that. But, uh, you know, uh, off the ice, you know, he, like I said, he, in the dressing room, he, he was, uh, that team guy, funny go lucky. Uh, but away from the rank, he, he pretty well kept to himself.
0: And then you play with a young Henrik Lundqvist. Did you know right from the start when you saw him, this kids give you a star?
1: Yeah, it was just one of those things that he had a great mentor with Kevin Weeks, who, uh, you know, was so good with him. Um, uh, but his movement side to side was better than any goalie I've ever seen. And, you know, I played with José Theodore, uh, Jose Theodore in Montreal, who was one of the quickest goalies I've seen before that. But uh, Hank just had that, that presence from post to post. Like he played so shallow in his net. Nobody could score on cross creases. And that was the way to kind of, you know, drop your shoulder, get the goalie challenge out, and then get it across. And you have that whole open net. Uh, With Hank, he 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 didn't have that. You know what I mean. He was so you know shallow in his net that he was so quick. He he got to so many pucks. Uh, It was a battle to score on him in in practice. Uh, You know shootouts at practice were competitive because he was competitive. I was competitive, and all the other players. So it it became a a big competition. It wasn't just a fun shootout uh, at the end of practices.
0: You have any good stories with Hank?
1: Yeah, it was uh, funny. The the one year, um, it would have been the second year, uh, a bunch of guys went down to go for skates and things like that uh, just to get ready before the training camp. And one day, uh, I think Steve Valaket was the other goalie. Uh, so we only had one goalie for the skate. And I'm like, well, I, I don't mind, you know what I mean. I'll I'll, I'll try that. I, I was one of those guys that I practice. I put the the blocker and the catcher and the helmet on and let guys shoot from the the blue line. And you know, it just one of those things. Uh, you know, not all there, we'll say. But uh, so the one day, uh, you know, there's only one goalie and we're about ready to go on the ice. I'm like, well, I'll put I'll put the stuff on. So I put it all on, and within five minutes, Hank's banging on the glass like. I'm like you're late. Too too bad. I'm playing that today. <laughs> so it's one of those uh, fun moments.
0: So your second year there, Brendan Shanahan came onto the team. Uh, what was he like?
1: Oh, he he was just one of those guys that uh, is so well respected. Uh, it's uh, I was wearing fourteen at the time which was his number. So as soon as I heard that he signed I called cast the trainer and said, like, he can have my number. You know what I mean? I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, you know, he deserves it. He has, you know uh, he has all my respect. So you can just give it to him. There there's no need. And uh, you know, then I heard a rumor is like, Oh, you know, okay, Ward, I'll, I'll give you uh, a Rolex. So, uh, you know, I, I never got the Rolex. And then, you know, years later, Ah, uh, we were. Uh, I was with the Brampton uh, Battalion coaching in the OHL, and Shanahan was working for the league at the time. And we, our team, did kind of the all-star. I'm like Shanahan, where's uh, that Rolex? He's like, oh, is it, it must be still stuck in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: on that team, uh, who are the pranksters in the locker room?
1: Uh, I'd say probably Casparitis was the the biggest one. Uh, you know, every every day was. Uh, you know, him trying to pull some type of prank. Uh, and the other one would probably be like a, a Matt Cullen. Those two guys uh, always seem uh, to want to do something. And the other one that I'm thinking of now is Ryan he, uh You know, they're always trying to do something to, 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 you know, entertain, we'll say.
0: And then while you're there, the famous Marek Malik shootout goal. You actually scored a goal in that game. Uh, what was that like on the bench just seeing him lumber down the ice and put that in?
1: it's one of those it's so funny because usually when something like that happens you see guys practice it at practice but in all the years i never really seen him even practice that so i don't know when he was doing it or something but you know it was just one of those moments uh you know the other moment that people forget uh during that shootout is uh you know jason strudwick scoring to keep the shootout going and You know, for a guy like that, that's just, you know what I mean, definitely not known as a goal scorer in any sense, uh, but uh, just one of those guys. And with him scoring, that just all excited. And when, you know, Merrick put that one in, it was one of those things that like everybody was so shocked. You know, it was just it was a great way to end that. That's for sure.
0: What was the locker room like when you guys went back in?
1: Well, I, you know, it's, uh, you know, our song after every game was "Sweet Caroline," and that was definitely going a long time after that game. There was a lot of excitement <laughs> for a long time, that's for sure.
0: Now, looking back on your Ranger career, what are some of the best moments that stick out to you now?
1: Uh, you know what I mean? Just you know, playing on a, a top team in Montreal, we never really had, uh, you know, a playoff type of team. Um, so, you know. It was one of those things where uh, I think in all the years of Montreal we made the playoffs once and we had a good run the the one year uh, but it just seemed like that top team that was willing to do whatever they can and like I said before like with having the top guys and the bottom guys knowing their roles uh, it was truly a team type of atmosphere um, you know and during that year that I got a lot of opportunities to, to play with good players and move up the lineup and you know, get those opportunities to, to help me for down the road.
0: So towards the end of your second year, you get traded to L.A. Um, for Avery. And then you get dealt right afterwards to Tampa. So you had three teams in one year. What was that whirlwind like?
1: It was crazy. You know what I mean? it's uh, it, it, Trades are kind of one of those things that they happen so quick. Uh, I remember just being at home. Uh, I think I was getting ready to play that night. And I got a phone call in the afternoon. And it's like, you, you've been traded to LA. It's like, so, you know, picture, you get that call at about 11, 12 o'clock. And I've got a flight out of uh, Newark, uh, I think at like seven or eight o'clock that night. Um, it was just like a whirlwind. So it's, uh, you know, pack up a couple bags. And then I got to get to the rink, uh, you know, to, MSG to, to get my equipment to get to the uh, airport and, um uh, I, I was going to be so late. So, uh, it was one of those things. So I went to the rink and, you know, they're like, just, just wait a bit. I'm like, no, I got to go. They're like, don't worry, just wait. I'm like, okay. So I ended up getting, uh, a, a police escort with the, uh, the guy that was driving me to the, uh, Newark. And, uh, I, I think we were going like 180, yards. sorry, that's called, uh, probably like 110. 120 and uh you know the guy i was driving with the limo drive he's like this is the best ride of my life <laughs> you know what i mean wasn't gonna get in trouble for speeding and uh uh no it's just one of those things uh, but being traded twice in a year in a matter of three weeks was uh it was a lot on the body uh you know what i mean because uh, i wasn't getting i was in another lineup in new york uh So that's when the, the trade happened. And then I went to LA for three weeks and I think I was averaging two or three minutes a game. So obviously I, I wasn't uh, the part that they were hoping for uh, when they were doing the trade. I think it was just kind of like, we'll throw that ward kid in. Um And then I got to, to go to Tampa and within three weeks I was playing 20 minutes a game. So I use that story a lot with younger kids and things like that. It's, you know, it doesn't matter where you are right now. You know, and a coach's opinion is a big one. So when you're going through a tough time, you know what I mean, just keep pushing through and, you know, there's going to be another opportunity out there. So the Ranger,
0: the original Ranger trade, that was a complete shock to you then?
1: Yeah, 100%. uh, You know, it caught me totally off guard. Uh, You know, I I know I was in another lineup. Uh, I can't remember. They picked up a guy on waivers. I can't remember the player, but they picked him up and I kind of, the light bulb kind of, was like, oh, I wonder what they're thinking, uh, and then the trade happened. And you know, I, it is what it is. You just you know, you you hope for a better opportunity and go into LA. I was you know, I needed uh, a new contract at the end of that year. And when I went to LA, I'm like, okay, this is a good opportunity. They're you know, twenty eight, twenty ninth in PK. Uh, I went into uh, the office and uh, I said, you know, you know. Um, I think Crawford, yeah, Crawford was the coach there. And like, you know, what can I do to make myself, uh, you know, more valuable to this team? Uh, I look at myself as a top PK guy. He looked at me he's like, well, I got my top, I got my top six and you're not one. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right. I think it's time to make a phone call and see if there's another <laughs> opportunity somewhere else. Uh, but that's just the way that the hockey world is, you know, some coaches just, you know, think the world and, you know, see your assets and some, So it's, uh, you know, just keep fighting through those times.
0: And with the Rangers, you balance between wing and center. Is that a a huge difference um, just from a game standpoint for you, like mentally, to switch back and forth? Uh,
1: Yes and no. I I always found the transition easy. I could go left wing, right wing, center, uh, and make the adjustments. Uh, I know a lot of players have a hard time with the adjustment. Uh, but for me, it's uh, I was comfortable playing down low, and a lot of wingers aren't comfortable playing down low in the D zone because there's a lot of responsibility with it. Uh, so it, it's easier to go from center to the wing as it is to go from wing to center because it's a lot more responsibility as a centerman. Uh, but I played both growing up, all the uh, all the way through. So I was never uh, it never bothered me to play any position. Uh, you know, there is different details that go into it. Uh, like I said, with more responsibility as a centerman, but uh, I adjusted. I didn't have a problem with that.
0: And you talk about your time when you went down to Tampa, you immediately made an impact on a lineup on their playoff run. A uh, guy down there, Vinny El was having quite the year playing with him. Is he very similar to Yager in a sense of where you can take a game over?
1: Uh, yeah, they're, they're totally different players. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, Yager was more that, you know, just, puck possession and, you know, that big body to the net, uh, where Vinny is more the the flash and dash. And, you know, obviously his one-timer that year was on point. Um, he, he had so much elements to his game, you know what I mean? He was the, the skill guy that he had that reach, like that kind of Mario Lemieux type of reach that he used it to his benefit all the time, just the way he used his body. Uh, but Vinny's shot from, you know, those top of the circles areas, you know, he was just money. Uh, and I remember, uh, being on the power play with them and, you know, Vinny would tell me before the game, uh, okay, we're playing Brodeur. He's really quick getting over. So I'm going to go short side. So make sure you're on the far post when I'm doing my one timer. And I was just totally blown away that, you know, a, that, you know what I mean? He, he knew the goalies that well. Uh, to know where to shoot that one-timer. And, you know, I guess uh, that's why they score 50 is, uh, you know, they have that uh, that ability to, to read and react on that.
0: And while you're down there for the couple of seasons, you had uh, John Torrell as your coach. What's Tort's like?
1: You know, it, torts is one of those guys that, you know, to the outside uh, public, like he's just a hard ass and everything. But he's one of those guys uh, I found out at the end of that year, I had the uh, – you know, player coach meeting at the end of the year. And we just got uh, beat out by New Jersey. And I I think I was like minus six in the playoffs. And I had uh, to meet with him the next day. And I don't think I slept the night before. I thought he was just going to yell at me the whole time in there. And, you know, so I stepped in the office and he looks at me, he's like, I think I might've overplayed you at the end of the year. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, you went from uh, LA not playing at all to, to play over 20 minutes a game. Uh, he's like, I love what you bring to the team. You know, I know you're up for contract, you know, if you need any help, let me know. Uh, but you know, I'm, uh, I'm here just to help you through this process just because uh, I want you here next year. But you know, know the opportunity that you got. and Don't ask for, uh, you know, don't over ask for what your asking price is. So it was kind of funny to to see that side of them um, because, you know, you're just used to the yelling and the screaming every practice, every game, and things like that. So it was nice to see that other side after the uh, the end of the year.
0: And after that season, you were a free agent, you re-signed with Tampa. Were there a lot of teams looking into
1: you after that? Uh, yes and no. The, there wasn't, uh, you know... I wanted to stay in t- Tampa. That that was my goal. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, I have loyalty, you know, that's a big part of my personality is loyalty. And they gave me that opportunity. Um, I wouldn't have got that opportunity. I had that opportunity in LA and I didn't get it. And, you know, I worked my way in Tampa and got that opportunity. So I looked at it at the standpoint of, you know, I deserve them to give them the opportunity at first. And, you know, I was happy with the money that they gave me. So in the offer. So it was, it was a pretty easy decision in my mind.
0: You play on Martin St. Louis as well. How is he as a teammate?
1: I always tell people that Marty's one of those guys that he lives and breeds hockey. Like he is the total hockey player. Every day that he's at the rink, it's, he's on the ice and he's doing something on the ice, getting better. If he's, it's a day off. To the rink and you know at the rink skating around he, he's one of those guys that just truly bleeds hockey like day in and day, day out and there's nobody that would uh, you know do anything for the game like now he's involved with the you know the kids and you know he's always he's one of those guys it's just hockey 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 uh, all day every day and uh, you know it's another guy that I just have a ton of respect for
0: and who are the characters in that Tampa locker
1: room uh, Tampa would be Andre Waugh would be the biggest character. Uh, he, every day was a fun day for him. Uh, I remember in Tampa when we did the starting lineups, uh, Andre was the one that always did the starting lineups, but it was always with something comedic. So he would do it in a funny voice or he'd come in in a cowboy hat. and You know, the, the one day he came in with a Le Cavier uh, uh, cutout, Uh, and then another day he put it on, uh, he put his, uh, he walked in on his knees and he had shoes and he had a Marty Saint Louis jersey on, uh, you know, so every day was, uh, you know, a new lineup and he, you know, the creativity he put behind it was unbelievable.
0: And looking back at your day to Tampa, what is the, the one story that sticks in your mind now?
1: Uh, the one story with Tampa, uh, obviously being there for, you know, uh, uh, Cavier's 50th. That was pretty special. Uh, but the, the number one memory, uh, I guess it would be a pretty funny one with torts. Uh, I was uh, We were playing in Atlanta, and uh, it was in overtime. And I went down the wing. I just went to curl back towards the blue line. I lost my footing. Puck went down, two on one the other way, and it was in the back of our net. And I'm, we're walking back into the dressing room, and Torts is like, Ward, get in here. And as we're walking back, I'm like, Torts, I don't need to see it. I've already seen it. He's like, All right, get your stuff. Get out of here. You know, next day I, I look at the lineup, and uh, I think he forgot to put my name down. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just one of those uh, lessons that you learn as a young guy. But, you uh, know, it was uh, a lot of good days in Tampa, that's for sure, though.
0: And then you went over and ended your career over in Austria. Uh, what was it like going overseas?
1: It was a really good experience. I, I'm really glad I, I did it. Uh, you know, I always wanted to stay in North America and play in the NHL. Uh, but you know, I dropped to the AHL at that point And I just wanted to kind of enjoy it. I heard a lot of guys really enjoyed the, the lifestyle over there. Uh, so I just uh, got the opportunity and I, I took advantage and uh, I'm really glad I did.
0: And you're still coaching now, right?
1: Yeah, so I started coaching, uh, well, after I stopped playing, I coached in the OHL with Brampton, uh, and then Brampton moved to North Bay. So it was, you know, a little small town and I had three boys. So I decided to, to stay home and, uh, you know, help out with minor hockey. Uh, but I've gotten back into the coaching now with the, the Georgetown. So it's an OJ team here. It's like a junior team, uh, below the OHL. Uh, and just got back involved with the older kids because uh, you know I just love being around the rink and trying to help guys uh, better their game. And looking back, what was your favorite state to play in? Uh, I get that a lot, and it was I liked them all for different reasons. Montreal, I love the uh, the energy, and you know it. You go from zero to hero, hero to zero. Uh, like I said, in playoffs, that there's no louder building, and just the franchise and the tradition. Like what an honor it was to to play for. Uh, the haps like it, it truly was uh, so as a hockey mecca and being in the spotlight that that was a place to be uh new york uh, there's no other place that that makes you feel famous you know what i mean I, I remember doing an event uh with new york and doing the red carpet and doing the limo ride and all those type of things that you know it, it's truly uh like a place that you, there's no other and you know within three blocks of the rink you know people don't know or care who you are because they see so many celebrities where in Montreal, you know, I had a bum on the street recognize me. So, you know what I mean? It just, uh it was nice to walk around New York and, and not being bothered sometimes uh, like that. And, uh, you know, Tampa, obviously for, you know, the, the weather, you know what I mean? Just not having winter jackets and, you know, that, a day off in Tampa was a real day off. You're on the golf course, you're on the water, you, you know, took the kids to Disney. Like it, it was a true day off. Uh, so I, you know, LA, I don't count because I was there for three weeks. So <laughs> I don't really put that in. The, I don't know how it is because it, it's like a road trip, but uh, you know, they all three, I enjoyed all three of them. And, you know, I look back at the places I got to play in, uh, you know, pretty special places.
0: Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Uh, it was really great. No, thank you so much. I Appreciate you having me.
0: Thank you again to Jason Ward for joining us this week. It was a lot of fun sitting down, talking about his career, and hearing those great stories to share. And that does it for episode six of the Broadway Hat Podcast. Please hit the follow button on Spotify. Follow me on Twitter for all New York Ranger updates at K Hall NY. And, and also please follow the Broadway Hat Podcast Instagram account to be notified when new episodes come out. Thanks for listening. Oh,